As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! And time, and time again. Crank up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! The complex concept of World Cup dark horsery. Why do we care about the last chance for other countries' golden generations? Optimum BST kickoff times. The vital importance of having great goalkeeper and referee kits above all else. The world feed commentary legends. Player X, who plays his football in country Y for the Z-named club. And trawling back through the history books for the last memorable World Cup final wonder goal. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés and the Perfect World Cup. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 207 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me to pick this perfect World Cup is first of all James Moore. How's it going? Yeah, very good. Thanks Adam. Um, Before we get stuck into World Cup matters, I haven't got the energy to work this out for myself. I wonder if you can help me. Why on earth is today's featured article on Wikipedia, on the very front page of Wikipedia, the 1963-64 Gillingham FC season? (laughs) I mean, well, you tell me. You must have clicked on it if you've seen that, surely. Yeah, but that, and that, that is clickbait if ever I've seen it. I'm none the wiser. Um, Mark J. Wallace enlightens me slightly about how the process of how this happens. He says, I generally want to know how this got through. I edit Wikipedia for football history purposes, for my sins, and you generally need to petition for it and have it approved by mods like planning permission for a stadium. So someone has got this through, James. I want to know. Amazing. That's amazing. Nothing particularly spectacular happened in that season either. So it's not like it was like, I don't know, nothing. Are there, are there any kind of big names that, that were playing for them as kids or whatever? There's no one in the squad that's kind of, you know, future World Cup winners or European Cup winners mean? or whatever. don't think so. I think they won their first 13 games or something. Or, or they were unbeaten in their first 13 games, which is a football league record or was a football league record. Not enough. I don't know what it's doing on the front page. It should be a random entry, if anything, but not the featured article. 
Alongside you for this selection process is the venerable Jack Pitbrook. How's it going? Good, thanks. Are you happy with what we're trying to achieve here? Because I think we, we've done the perfect Euros before, and it fell flat a bit in my eyes. Because the world, But the World Cup has far more historical, cultural oomph behind it. I think this is a worthwhile exercise. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. World Cups are better than Euros. Euros are good, but World Cups are better. And I was going to say they're rarer. They're not. They're exactly as rare as Euros. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, but no, I do. Th- th- this will be fun. On a, on a kind of semi-serious note, James, I mean, I know Qatar 2022 has gone from a joke to a farce, to a scandal, to a tragedy and a disgrace, all while being a massive inconvenience and just simply a non-canon World Cup in many people's eyes. I don't want to be trying to be sort of facetious about any of that. This is a kind of separate exercise. I'm trying to embrace the concept of of the World Cup in its purest, most closely approximated form. It's it is you know whether we like it or not. It's World Cup season. I I am not afflicted by World Cup fever, and yet I still feel like I must go through the motions of it. Yeah, I don't think there's any danger of us including human rights abuses in in the perfect World Cup, is there? I would be stunned if any element of Qatar 2022. But I'll tell you what, if we do manage to get a, a tiny element of Qatar 2022 into this episode, it will be in its weird kind of way something of a triumph. Let's see if that ever happens over the next hour or so. Right, time to kick off our perfect World Cup. I want to read out this smorgasbord of suggestions from Alex and Sean from No Score Draws. James, they say a perfect World Cup needs an aesthetically perfect mix of kits. A 2022 World Cup has an unacceptable preponderance of teams playing in red shirts. 13 teams plus Croatia in red and white, which is simply too many. A better mix is needed to fully imprint the visuals of a World Cup on the memory, covering the full gamut of colours, stripes and sashes. So I propose a limit of 10 teams in red, plus the following. Buys for the Netherlands and Cote d'Ivoire to ensure two teams in orange. Two comparable places are allocated to the reliably well-turned-out pair of Peru and Paraguay. Four teams in yellow, four teams in green. Brazil, Sweden, Australia, Colombia, Cameroon, Mexico, Ireland, Nigeria will be entirely acceptable. Light and dark blues covered. One colour goalkeeper shirts to be banned. Fairly comprehensive uh, aesthetic breakdown here. No, but I don't think you can argue with any of that. That all makes perfect sense to me. That's all absolutely right. Uh, so are we are we banning nations with red shirts after a certain point or are we going to make them change? I don't know. I can't get my head around it, to be honest. But I think overall, I kind of agree with the with the. Split. Yeah, I definitely, you definitely need the mix. I mean, mm. Peru in the last World Cup, obviously their first World Cup for quite a long time. It's so good to see that kit at a World Cup. Mm. It just makes such a difference when you see that in Australia, when Australia started qualifying. It just, it just feels good to see like a recognisable kit in the context of a World Cup yeah. when you haven't actually seen that in the flesh before. It's really nice. Yeah, seeing sure. that Peru kit in the last World Cup, mate, it was, I think for a lot of fans, it was the moment you could finally kind of identify with your dad going on about Kubias forever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I'm glad you're on board with this, Jack, because it does feel like a basic preoccupation World Cup kits. I mean, I'm saying it with disdain as if I haven't been preoccupied by it over the last 30 years or so of my life. But it's it's part of the aesthetic appeal of a World Cup, you know, and kits are important for a reason. But at World Cups, they take on an extra significance because they're representing a country and in some respects representing a country's history at the World Cup. So like Peru, the whole thing is very important. Yeah, yeah, I think they are important. It's kind of fun to have opinions about them. I don't really remember that. How many, how many do you actually remember from the last 10 years or 20 years that you could say, that was really good, that one? Nigeria last year is a good example. That was, sorry, Ni- Nigeria 2018 was obviously hugely popular. Beyond that, how many other jump out? Cameroon being denied the right to go sleeveless in 2002. Yeah. yeah. That was a good little, a good little story. Just stitch on their silly little... 
sort of black sleeves. Mexico the, looked quite yeah. good this time, but beyond that, James, do you have any favourites? I mean, everyone was going mad about the England shirt in 2010, like a very sort of simplistic white. I think it might have been the last Umbro one, maybe. But uh, like looking back on it now, I don't think it's really kind of stood the test of time. Possibly because England was so bad at that no, tournament. No, it's that never going to go. It's never going to. That's one thing we can safely say. It's never going to go retro. I don't think this is the last time we'll say this on this podcast. But you're obviously swayed by like your first World Cup and your childhood memories of watching World Cup. That's fine. So more or less for me, '94 was the first one I kind of dipped into. '98 was the first one I was properly fully immersed in. And more or less every kit at that World Cup. The France kit at that World Cup is amazing. Mm. That Mexico kit with the kind of Aztec design on it is really, really good. Quite like that England kit. I think Denmark might have had a good kit. Not quite 86 levels, but I think I think pretty smart. The, the one thing I would say I, I dislike, and I don't want to get into a big rant about templates because that's incredibly boring and incredibly yeah. Twitter. Yeah. But if you look back at the kits from 2006, there are, I would say, probably at least 15 Adidas kits that are more or less exactly the same. And they look shit. Right. The template is so bad. If you remember, there's like a kind of, not a sash, but kind of a line that comes down from the collar and then suddenly takes like a left turn across the chest and then oh, down. Right. The okay. stripes everywhere. There's just too much going on. Hmm. I think, not, I, not a good I, look for me. I think the stripes often ruin it, actually. Like, Argentina is a kit with such a distinctive look by itself that the addition of the stripes in 2006 actually kind of killed the clarity and purity mm. of the design. Okay. Yeah, various kit manufacturers in bad moments over the course of the history of the World Cup. Let's let's take this relatively chronologically. Jack, what kind of things would you want slash expect to see in the lead-up to a World Cup? I think the most important thing for me, and this is going to sound very Anglo-centric, is mm. a big, silly argument about the location and funness of the England training camp <laughs> yes. uh, which seems to operate on a kind of uh, kind of alternates between you know the very very kind of last days of Rome of Baden Baden 2006 very kind of uh, military training camp of uh, Royal Bafokeng Complex in yeah. Rustenburg in 2010 yeah. then kind of somewhere in the middle for 2014 outside uh, I can't actually I couldn't pin down the name of it I think it was Urka uh, like a military base in 2014 back to like the, the the sort of remote but laid back compromise of Repino in 2018 <laughs> and every time England's failures are blamed on the camp at the last World Cup being either too fun or not fun enough so all you have to do is just crank that big lever from fun to not fun to get the correct results next time. <laughs> so it's like a proper Goldilocks situation, James, with England's camps, isn't it? Um, I'm not. It's a bit like our attitude towards punditry on TV. Nobody really knows what they want from an well, England camp, do they? It feels it feels incredibly tomato ketchup to me. That's what it is, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. It. It's a representation of precisely the same thing. That's exactly it. Excellent. Okay, so England. Who knows what they'll get up to or not get up to in Qatar in their in their camp this time, Jack? What about? Um, dark horses chat yeah so every world cup i think every fan at every world cup needs a dark horse yeah but i was thinking what to what what is a successful dark horse shout because you would look like imagine how ridiculous you would look if you said my dark horse is argentina or mm. Holland, or Germany. Mm-hmm. It can't be a team that's won it before, even come close to winning it before. Equal, really? I don't think so. You can't have Brazil as a dark horse. Can you have Uruguay any... could be a dark horse. I mean, how yeah, far back are you Uruguay allowed to might go? Be the yeah. one team who've won it before who could be a dark horse. Okay, good, good. But, but equally, fine. you couldn't have like a really, really niche team who were, had no chance of winning at all. Like, I don't think you could have South Korea as a dark horse. This is important. I, I think this is important. This is more important than us discussing... Um, sort of failed dark horses of, of the past. I think it's good to set these parameters, but you're right. It can't be 
a real hipster's choice, can it? No, it could. You can't really have Senegal as dark horses, I don't think. So okay. I, I think to generally, I, I think dark horses are almost always European, and almost always they haven't won it before. So I think the traditional dark horse trio are Turkey, Croatia, and Serbia. They create great players as well, so they've got that sprinkling of talent that is irresistible. That needs to be quite business-like, I think. I, I don't think... I, I mean, Turkey, the last Euros, may be the exception to this, but I think they, they can't... Nec- they, they shouldn't be a fun team. No, be I agree I with you. I agree with you. Oh, they shouldn't be a really? fun team. More often than not, I'd say it's like a team with... Uh, it's more often than not going to be a team with incredibly good defence and like one yeah. amazing attacking player. Poland I, have ever been a dark horse with Lewandowski? Probably not. Possibly but you not. know who I... But I think this year's dark horse fits into these parameters precisely and that's Denmark yeah I can see that they're going to win their group I'm surprised they're going to be James the dark horse. I'm surprised James that you think it's a pragmatic thing dark horsery because to me off the top of my head I feel like it's the international equivalent of someone saying oh Sarri's Napoli don't sleep on them that sort of thing it's like <laughs> I mean it's just like it's it's like a one intellectual step below hipsterdom it's like everybody knows about this team but trust me I've looked into them really hard and they're going to be they are going to tear some they're going to tear it up at the World Cup right under your noses to get me thinking do you think Croatia in 2018 were the most is that the most successful genuine dark horse run in World Cup history a rare example of a well, of a dark horse who actually came close to winning it. Yeah, well, Turkey reached the semis, didn't they, in 2002? But we're talking dark, dark horses. horses. I don't think they were. No, what, no one was talking 2002? about 2002? Because Galatasaray no, 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 was strong. It's not, it's, not, it's not just being an outsider. It's being tipped before the tournament. And I don't think anyone was talking about Turkey before that tournament, surely. To be a dark horse, do you actually have to be tipped to win it? No. I think you have to be no, talked about be before be the tournament. You have to yeah, be tipped to be in the conversation. It's a very it's a very flimsy term, isn't it? But yeah, it is. About before the tournament. <laughs> yeah, I just don't. I don't, well, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't really remember that being the case. Hmm. Interesting. On a on a related note, I like this from Colin Weir, Jack, who says um, this will be about the fifth World Cup Euros in a row where it's been the last chance for this Belgian side's golden generation. <laughs> I think if you, if you take that theme as a as a wider thing, I, I quite like the idea of this last chance for Country X's golden generation because if it almost like we all, we've all got a vested interest to share, like a like a we're all kind of stakeholders in the success of this country we are, we have no connection with. It's like yeah, finally I want to see them over the line. Yeah, no, I think that that is definitely true. And I'm sure that is the case. Like, it would probably... I bet people would have started saying that when they lost to Wales in 2016, the Hal Robson-Carnu game. And, yeah, I think one of the things I like about international football is if there's not... You don't want to see too much turnover of players. You want to see... It's just like the same, like... you. It's always the same Swiss team. You know, it's uh, it, not Gelson Fernandez anymore, but I forgot the names now. Rodriguez at left back, Xhaka. Yeah. The, the centre forward who never scores. Who's that centre uh, Harris forward? Harris Seferovic. Never... <laughs> Seferovic, that's it, yeah. Not a uh, day goes by without Jack Pibrick saying the name Harris Seferovic at me. Jordan Shakiri. I feel like in my head it's been, it was basically, you've got the kind of Euro 96 Chaprisat team. And then, since, and then the only other era in Swiss football since 1996 is this one. And it's been Rodriguez, Xhaka, Shakiri, Briel Mbolo, and the lads for the last like 30 years so they've not got Petkovic now have they the manager the, the suave manager is gone oh yeah yeah. He's he's, not he had be a face like him. a sort of Roman emperor didn't he <laughs> yeah he really did yeah he really um, did Roman emperor turned car salesman I'd say okay yeah, nice the interesting thing about the sort of prolonged golden generation chat James is that it, it flies in the face of the people who claim that we should be um, having a World Cup every two years to give these players a chance to, to appear at a World Cup more to see these big talents on the stage if they, as long as they stay fit, you know, injuries are part of football. That's just tough. 
If you, as long as you stay fit, you can do a Switzerland and appear at three or four World Cups without apparently ageing at all. That's your lot. That's enough. You don't need it any more than four World Cups. Four World Cups is shitloads. So you're saying like Cafu is taking the piss. Cafu went to five, didn't he? Yeah. You're saying he's taking the piss by that. that well, I know. Maybe there should be a limit on how many Entitled to be there. I'm just saying I'm not going to lament the fact that he didn't get to five. Oh, yeah. Okay, I see what you mean. I mean, yeah, that does seem... Uh, if you think about that period of time, that does seem excessive, yes. Yeah, okay. Right, I want to get onto some technical matters now, Jack. Simply want you to pick the dream format for your perfect World Cup how complicated do you want to go do you want best runners up uh, sorry do you want best third place teams I mean, how how straightforward do you want it to be very straightforward Good. I think the kind of it, it, it makes me very angry that uh football authorities have such a good thing in terms of a simple clean parallel group system and they've now decided oh no let's ruin it by chucking in third place teams if you come third and fourth place in a, in a group before you do not deserve to go through to the next round like, that's so obvious like that's really obviously borne out by domestic european knockout sorry by european knockout football by euros and the world cups so it, it, it makes me i believe what this is going to be the last world cup with the 32 yeah, with the eight right. groups of four format yeah. which sucks that really sucks um and it's, um, yeah, I mean, I know what they're doing it because they want more money, but it's rubbish. It is rubbish. And it, so that will give way, James, to the uh, 2026 World Cup in Canada, yeah. USA and Mexico, which I can think, I believe will be safely described as sprawling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely will. Yeah. I would counter Jack's point, though, by saying, it, it, if you think back to 2002 again, that, that tournament was incredibly entertaining in the group stage when all of the, or most of the top sides got knocked out. But by the time you got to the knockout stages, a lot of quite bad games between less good teams. And it wasn't amazing to watch. And actually, I think if some of those third place teams do sneak through, if, I mean, it didn't happen in that tournament, but if France had been third or whatever else. That's just the luck of the draw, though. That's, that's pe- just incidental, but isn't you it? You need the best teams in the knockout stages. And if you have to Jerry mander it a little bit so be it you're gonna get shit munches whatever you do that's just really that's completely against the spirit of a competition if you just want the good teams in then you should just give them by straight through to the straight through to the knockout rounds it's international not, super league the, the argument that i'm making isn't like an instrumental argument about how to create a good last 16 it's a moral argument about whether or not you deserve to go through if you come third out of four you do not deserve to go through morally yeah i agree cut jack Pitbrook uh, open and he bleeds well, 32 teams eight groups of four last 16 quarter Semis final done. Sixteen teams, four groups of four in the Euros. But in a World Cup context, they bleed. Thirty-two teams. Eight good. Good. How would you feel about sixty-four teams at the World Cup? Would you rather have sixty-four teams in the World Cup than whatever? Oh, yeah. it's be yes, before, yeah. but only, but not if all sixty-four teams flew to the final country. Only if the sixty-four oh, teams. Come on. You had sixty-four teams in a straight knockout before flying onto the host nation. Oh, fucking hell. This like, is what, rubbish. Old this Euros. Is We're not doing that. Yeah, Jack, old Euros style. What a shame. What a shame. An addendum to this, James. In my perfect World Cup, there wouldn't be a third or fourth place playoff. Um, not for the usual reasons, which we all agree on. It's a pointless game. Um, nobody wants to be there. But you got knocked out. It's yeah. almost over. So whilst... Whilst it has a natural interest level, the third and fourth place playoff, nobody wants to watch it. They've probably stuck it on ITV4, whatever, whatever. Um, it should have the official status of like a community shield. Like it shouldn't ha- should be considered a competitive game. You're out of the tournament. Go home. I mean, I didn't watch it in 2018. Adam, did you watch it? I went England to Belgium. It. Do I, it was, that's why I didn't ask you, Jack. <laughs> I just it, it, can't think, like, why would you... I, 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 surely no players want to play in that. I, I, it's just horrible. 
It's yeah, torture. It was rubbish. It was um, like both England, England, Belgium games at the last World Cup were a bit of a farce. Like Kaliningrad in the group stage because they made all those changes, and then last, then the third, fourth place playoff in St Petersburg because it was a third, fourth place playoff. And in both times, like you could tell that it, it, both those games were played at walking pace and were just rubbish games. It was, a, it felt like a pretty pointless exercise. I agree. Um, another example of a, a third and fourth place playoff match that just bears no resemblance to the rest of the tournament narrative, which is um, England versus. Italy at Italia 90. Now, everyone remembers, of course, the, the high emotions of England's penalty shootout defeat against Germany. Um, tears, all sorts. And then you see a picture of them all in the third, fourth place playoff, including Stuart Pearce, all doing a Mexican wave really gleefully on the touchline during the match of the third and fourth place playoff. It's just like, it's not part of the experience. It's just, it should be buried, it should be all erased from memory. It didn't happen. So that's it. So that's our format. Um, let's have some various other observations from our listeners. James Reese Jones writes in and says, Match scheduling is vital for a perfect World Cup. Brazil 2014 fell at 5pm, 8pm and 11pm UK time. That was perfect. Far too many games in the working day this year and the novelty of early morning starts a la Japan Korea quickly wears off for actually enjoying the football. How do you feel about this? What's your sweet spot as a punter? Well, it's difficult for us to say because like uh, in, in our job, we get to watch the football in the daytime. So uh, like we're, we're kind of quite privileged. So, I, I like a, an earlier game. I think there's a, there's a novelty to, to having like a league football on in the daytime in the week. How early? I'm up for, I mean, I don't think this has ever happened. Three o'clock on like a sort of weekday feels like quite a good... That's fine. Yeah, that's doable. Maybe, yeah, maybe you go two, five, seven or whatever. Two, five, eight. That feels, that feels nice. Good to have, uh, Jack, I would say, like, we can, we can quibble about an hour here or there, but I think it's good to have some group stage matches kicking off during office hours in the UK to test various offices' willingness to show football in the office. Because I think that's the true test of an office atmosphere of how important someone's job is, is whether you're allowed to watch football on the side of the office. Absolutely. Or uh, I, I don't know if they still have this in schools now, but wheeling the TV in. <laughs> to All, right. Classrooms All right, Peter Kay. Drinking uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, your fucking panda pops watching so the World Cup. England Tunisia, With his remote control uh, watch. <laughs> yeah, England Nigeria. I think as well. <laughs> Chris Packett flies across the front. Of <laughs> yeah. But I, 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 I've got no idea what modern glassmen are like, Adam, so I don't know if wheeling the TV in is still a thing. Oh, I hope so. Um, can I, I really can I just hope say, so. During this World Cup, and, and obviously this isn't the biggest uh, objection people have to this World Cup, but four games a day, every day, for what is it, 10 days? That's brutal. That's, that's too many matches. Too much. 13-year-old like, me would be all over that. You say that though, but I think normally in a World Cup, there's one day where there are four games in a row. And last year it was that first Saturday. And I just think no one has the appetite to watch four matches in a row. I think we saw that in, in lockdown. Because the match-going fans, James, they can go to all four games if they want. <laughs> oh, yeah, but imagine that. They won't worse. want to, because nobody exactly. wants to watch four games no in a day. No one. doesn't matter where you are. I had this. I literally had this in the last World Cup. I'm going to try and remember what the games were. I think it was France-Australia was the first one. Argentina-Iceland maybe the second one. Peru-Denmark was the third one. And by the, I had no appetite for Croatia-Nigeria after that. I was sated. I couldn't, I couldn't watch another World Cup game. It was too much. It's a simple solution Ten, it just, It's insane. Just get the FIFA executives to watch like an expanded Super Sunday just once in their life. And they'll realise that they'll be all up for the first game, get a bit bored, fall asleep for at least half of the second game. And not really, and then wake up and wonder how it's still going on. Then finally pluck up the energy to watch the headline third game in a row. Then they'll realise it's, it's it's difficult to watch three games in a row, let alone four. Right next up, Gary Shufflebottom writes in Jack and says a tournament should start with the defending champions losing the first match. The hosts 
then win their first game on the second day. Happy with this? This is this. You, you want your World Cup to kick off with a bang, don't you? Yeah, I think yeah. Like really good first game is obviously important, but the, the holders being shit is so important. It's become a really big and like really good thing about the World Cup in the last 20 or so years. I think France losing to Senegal in 2002 is maybe one of the best games in World Cup history, given how good that France team were. But like Italy finishing bottom of an incredibly easy group in 2010 was amazing. Even Spain, what, Spain in 2014 getting hammered by Holland was also amazing. That was also a classic game in in its own right. And then, of course, Germany going out last time. So, yeah, all... I'm bang up for this this time. Yeah, it's kind of like entry level Schadenfreude, James. I mean, I mean, no one really has the hatred of of certain countries at international level at a World Cup like they would do in say at club level. But it is just nice to see big countries who won the last tournament just having an absolute mare for all sorts of reasons. But it is a counterbalance to what you usually see at club level, which is one club dominating or a small group of clubs dominating. So to see the champions fall at the first hurdle. Yeah. Just not a thing you really see in club football that often. Champions. Champions. World Cup champions. Yeah, but they're world, they're world champions. Okay. Yeah, they, of course they are. I would accept world. world champions, but I wouldn't accept champions on its own. Just. <laughs> well, okay, okay. Fine. Come on, you know it's right, Jesus don't you? Christ. No, yeah. no, it's fine. World um, champions is better than World Cup champions. Can I just dial back, though? I just want to take exception with one thing. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't have the host nation playing on the second day, surely. The ho- now the tradition is the host nation playing on the first day. Well, funny you say that. Producer Dave has made a note in the running order. He's saying hosts opening the tournament is rubbish, and he's right. I, I don't disagree with that, especially when the host is someone rubbish like Qatar. You want you want one of the big you want one of the big hitters playing on that first day in that yeah. first game. Ideally, the peak I would say. Brazil v Scotland in 98 again. 98. Apologies. That's a great first game. Yeah, it is. Two yeah, kits Fran- look good Fran- together. France Senegal, as Jack says, good. Agreed. Germany Costa Rica was good. Mm, that was host, it's quite it? a good game, but it's a bit wishy washy, isn't it? Good goals. What was twenty ten? Oh, South Africa was in Mexico. They played. Was it Mexico? Yeah, yeah Shabalala. Bit yeah. rubbish. Interesting. Okay. Mm. Uh, um, Russia thumping Saudi was so rubbish. Brazil, Brazil, yes. Croatia was good. Yes. Croatia was good. Yeah. Okay. On a lighter note, James, this is from Alex Everson, who says. Brazil must be in Group D, E, F or G, with a co-commentator mentioning that the World Cup just hasn't got going until Brazil play. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is definitely true. I that just realised that good. really is a thing. Isn't that it? is good. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not really a World Cup until so you see those yellow shirts coming out and oh, it really feels like a World Cup now, doesn't it? Yeah, Samba atmosphere. Not sure about this one from Jonathan Woodjack. He says, we need a group that goes to the wire with every team finishing on the same points and ideally goal difference, like Group E in 1994. To me, that stinks of a lack of quality. Yeah, it's, yeah, it just doesn't feel like something which we often really see at all, right? Like, I can't, for some reason, I was going to say it sounds like something you get more in Champions League football. Is there any, there's no reason... I mean, I guess in Champions League, you've got twice as many games as in a World Cup group, but that doesn't quite sound right to me. Finally, on our format point, James, very extended format section this, um, George Cooper says, you need a perfectly balanced semi-final that lives lives up to the hype. Think Brazil versus Holland, 98. Oh, yes. Ronaldo versus Bergkamp, 1-1 and penalties. Brian Moore commentating. I mean, it, it kind of it's, it adds fuel to the long-held belief that semi-finals are better yep. than finals. I would agree with that. And I think you can accept one quite flat semi-final if the other one is incredibly good yeah I would take that deal and it's almost always I think I, I, I mean you could look up that for 98 and I might be wrong but I, I think the first semi-final is, would be the good one and the second one would always be like an anticlimax in comparison okay right let's like move on to be. more aesthetic matters which of you cares about kits the least me okay um well 
James, I want to put a nice spin on this. I don't want to talk about kits anymore, but I do want to talk about goalkeeper kits. What's the greatest era for World Cup goalkeeper kits? I mean, it seems an incredibly obvious answer, but surely it's the 90s. It's Italian 90s specifically. Uh, specifically Italian yeah. 90s. Okay. When they all look I, like I was covers of VHS, thinking... blank VHS cassettes. Oh, uh, okay. So, I mean, yeah. Mm, okay. Really, really classy. Um, what about referee kits? <laughs> Well, I know your answer to that question. It's Italian <laughs> actually, 90 again, isn't it? I mean, that happened to be the one I bought on eBay, but actually if you go to 1994, when that was a sort of checkered attempt. Oh, yeah, um, okay. Yeah, yes. I might, if the Athletic let me, I will rank the World Cup referee kits. Um, Those uh, 94 referee kits are like Adidas. They're incredibly sort of uh, stock image, aren't they? Yeah. They're they like are. kind of cl- cliched referee image. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to take an executive decision. I don't give a shit about mascots. Again, we're not going to do mascots. Good. But speaking of events perfectly tailored for your niche enjoyment, lest we forget the Football Clichés live tour, which kicked off amid sensational scenes at Earth in Hackney on Tuesday night and continues next week at Manchester's New Century Hall on the 15th of November and Dublin's Liberty Hall Theatre on the 16th of November. London was an absolute riot. Let's make Manchester and Dublin the same. Please join us. Go to myticket.co.uk or just Google Football Clichés Live. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Right, back at our perfect World Cup. And no World Cup is perfect, Jack, without some sort of controversy slash row. What is your textbook controversy slash row? Um, I think the textbook controversy would be the one at uh, Kneisner in South Africa between the French team and Raymond Dominic in 2010. You know, the refusing to get (laughs) off the bus one. Because it's... 
you've got like a big country you've got well-known famous players it's all a little bit school trip gone wrong as well <laughs> you've, got, you've got patrice ever throwing his lanyard at dominates right yeah isn't that what happened i think so and they're um, big old lanyards at world cups as well that's gonna hurt especially getting with a corner yeah, yeah. Um, or the metal bit. So yeah, that, that kind of school trip gone wrong vibe makes it that the best for me, though I appreciate there are other good ones. James, I mean, one of the perhaps more tiresome strands of World Cup controversies is the pre-World Cup bonus row. Do you think it might, I mean, do you think behind the glamour of all of it, do you think it's just it's just a right old administrative faff? to sort out the bonuses for various countries at World Cups. It's got to be, hasn't it? Because otherwise, why would you not Why would you not get it sorted before the tournament? But it's incredible how often you see that. Like how often it's left running into the... Like I'm someone who leaves paperwork and all this administrative nonsense to the last minute. Yeah. I, I can only operate that way. But, I, I, you know, surely people that are running associations of major footballing nations shouldn't be doing that. Jack, I maybe, maybe we kind of be misled by this. Maybe it isn't kind of like performance-related bonuses. Maybe it's just like, it's basically like... It, it's like mundane stuff like per DMs, like somebody whinging about not having money for their laundry or something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, it just reminds me of when uh, I think was it Gar- the Ghanaian FA had to fly out $3 million in cash <laughs> in 2014 to, uh, to, to pay all these disputed Like bonuses. a reverse heist movie. Like a really <laughs> shit heist movie, isn't it? We're actually bringing the money to you. An- another classic row is I think Spain sacking Lopetegui at the very start of the 2018 World yes. Cup was very, 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 yeah. very funny. I generally don't like i don't like club football interfering in yeah. tournaments i think it's it feels a bit icky to me <laughs> but in that case it was uh, it produced a funny outcome it was, uh, but that was genuinely pathetic the lopetegui scandal james it's like a like um a country just feeling undermined by a club declaring a new manager and saying well we can't have this off you go it's uh, genuinely pathetic behavior yeah it is yeah it does feel Small like time. it did speak for their insecurity didn't it i think there's who's the guy who's been sacked three times before world cups there's a manager who's been sacked by three different nations before three different World Cups. Harry Hodzic? That's it, yes, Harry Hodzic. My next section is simply defined as moments. Um, I quite like this from uh, Sam Munnery, James. He says, uh, a World Cup needs to have a notable piece of skill or celebration by one particular player, a Cruyff turn, a Roger Miller celebration, the Beto's rocking the baby celebration, Quatermatch Blanco double foot jump. Or I believe it's known. What is it? The bunny hop. Bunny hop. Yeah. Yeah. These things sound. I mean, once you actually say them out loud, they seem. They already seem quite tired concepts, but. It is important that we have these kind of mystique adding elements, things you ne- you don't see yeah. in the rough and tumble of the Premier League, just completely, oh, I'm going to say it, exotic. Well, you need, if you're watching the World Cup, you need to see stuff you've not seen before. It can't be exactly the same as the Premier League. It needs to be different. And you need those little moments that will get like kids hooked into watching football, right? That's kind of what, that's kind of, those are things you remember, right? I mean, yeah. the, you know, again, 98, the bunny hop, I remember seeing that. You want mad shit to happen. Exactly. It can't all be, like, serious. It needs to be fun. That's right. This is memory-building stuff. But, Jack, let me list these things again with the years attached. Cruyff turn, 1974. Roger Miller celebration, 1990. But better Rocking the Baby, 1994. Blanco's bunny hop was 1998, perhaps bleeding into 2002. These are distant memories now. Is the World Cup still capable of producing one-off things like this? Or is just football just utterly homogenised and it's impossible to create John Terry like diving along the ground against Slovenia in 2010 to try and head <laughs> what, the ball away. What about, I think that's the best we've got. Yeah. The best what, about Ham, what about James Rodriguez and his massive grasshopper? Oh, Does that yeah. count? It wasn't a conscious thing that he did, but it still happened. Oh, yeah. Maybe just sort of viral content took over and things yeah. just aren't, aren't frozen in time anymore. I mean, imagine, I Cru- imagine the Cruyff Swar- turn now. Stop oh, it, yeah. Johan! <laughs> Johan Cruyff doing Johan Cruyff things. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically one thing. Yeah, good. 
Let's choose our match ball as well. It's got to be a tango, right, James? I'm a tricolour man, actually. Oh, a bit of colour, splash <laughs> yeah. of colour. The first, That's... the first World Cup ball with any colour in it. The tricolour. Is that um, right? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Everything That's before mad. it was black and white, it, unless you take the the brown balls of your 30s and your orange slashingers of 1966. There's something. There's. I'm going purely on the, on the aesthetic, not on the quote-unquote technology. But I just like that. It's quite simple, but it looks good. It's not over the top. There's no mad shit there. It's sharp. It's a beautiful ball. And, and Jack, what's more, the Tricolor, I recall, was the first ball that had any semblance of kind of marketing speak alongside it. But it, but it, but it, was, it was really kind of surface-level stuff, or quite literally, because it said... Um, it had sort of like a thin layer of responsive foam, the trickle law, and that was it. That was the extent of its uh, technological advancement. That's enough, isn't it? That's just the right amount. Yeah, yeah, that is just the right amount. It's a, I, I don't even know how much... Uh, I don't even know the name of the ball for this time or how much marketing stuff... Al Rickler. ...will be coming out. I remember there was a... I bought an official Team Geist T-shirt in 2006 that was associated with the ball because uh, I thought it would be like an alternative thing to just having like an Eng- the England kits from the tournament, which, which I also had, obviously. So I did have a, a, well, a Team Geist T-shirt in 2006. So, you supported the ball? Yeah, I guess in a sense I did. But I was, it was just to do with... Uh, I thought it looked cool and I also... Which wasn't quite the case. A 2000, so that's 2006 T-shirt depicting the official match ball of the World Cup I think it's a team geist and it had like the kind of ball logos on I don't know if uh, official ball t-shirts are a big thing nowadays but classifying that as kind of peripheral World Cup merchandise and then if you factor in the fact it's about 12 years ago I think you could just about get away with wearing it like ironically at I don't know Sleater Kinney gig or something like that That is the sort of thing that I would do, but I believe it's probably... I think I probably gave it to the British Heart Foundation. <laughs> so it's uh, uh, no longer in my wardrobe. Say, uh, what a wonderful charitable act from you. Right, so let's get back into some technical matters. James, who's hosting this World Cup? Who, who's the solid option to host this dream tournament? Where in the world do you want it? Yeah, good question. I, I, I mean, obviously it's a geographical improbability or impossibility, but it does feel like you want it to be a new country every time. And it should be a quote-unquote proper football nation. I don't think you want there to be too many big stadiums. Like, some games should be played at, like, a 30,000-seater stadium, say. Mm-hmm. You don't want every game at like a 60 or 80,000 seater. So I don't know who that is. I don't know if you can whack all that in Google and find out who that's going to be. Well, I think I might have a suggestion that ticks all of your boxes. About Columbia, somewhere like that would be good. I mean, you know, I know they were supposed to have it. Was it 86 they were supposed to have? That works. One I think that would tick all of James' boxes is Portugal, which Ah. is a a football-loving country which has never hosted a World Cup. Yeah, that is good. I I think the modern World Cup would probably be beyond them, which is why they're often, you know... Uh, you know, linked with combined bids with Spain, but they could certainly they could certainly fit it all in. And you know what? The stadiums. Having been in Lisbon quite recently as well, I, when I was there, I was thinking how amazing it must have been in Euro two thousand and four when they had games at the Alvalade and the, the Stadio de Luís. And Phil Collins at the Avalade, don't forget. And, yeah, Adam Harry watching Phil Collins, of course. Mm. Amanda must have been amazing. What a place and to be. Mike I forgot the you were there. I hadn't, hadn't even considered that you were there. It must have been great. Yeah, it's absolutely this brilliant. This is 100%. We should campaign for this. Yeah, this give Portugal a World Cup. 100%. Class. Portugal would be amazing. They've got that stadium with the cliff behind it as well. So you yeah. can play all the Obviously shitty little games there side. just for a bit of interest. Oh, just, this is so good. Euro 2004 was amazing. We've nailed it. Porto, well Porto is amazing. Yeah. yeah, this is great. Guimaraes yeah. is a good Public, tra- public transport's really good. People, People are all really nice. Yeah. 
Food's Food nice. is good. Just to add to the mise-en-scene of this Dream World Cup, uh, Stu writes in and says he wants the advertising hoardings to be only JVC, Fujifilm, Gillette, Coca-Cola. That's it. No Hisense involved. <laughs> No uh, Herman garage doors either. It's all about the big historical brands that may or may not exist anymore. Right, um, James, let's, let's touch on TV coverage a little bit, please. Um, if you had to pick one theme tune for whatever channel's coverage for this Dream World Cup, what's it going to be? Well, it has to be a piece of classical music. So I know more pieces of... Because I only know pieces of classical music Proper from, classical like, or like nouveau classical, like you would hear in the Shawshank Redemption or something? No, probably proper classical, Okay, I would say. All right. Uh, like, I mean, you know, no one knows Nessun Dorma without Italian Auntie do mm. I mean, uh, you know, that is way more... I mean, this is going to sound so uncultured, but it's obviously, obviously way more mainstream because of that. Sure. Um, what's, the, what's the 98... Was it P- Pavan? Is it the one that was used by S Club Seven later on BBC? Yeah, yeah. And then the one, the, the ITV 2008 one, the Mozart one, Queen, Queen of the Night. I think it is. Like these are the only bits of classical music I know, and it's because they were theme tunes to major tournaments. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's so. What I need is another bit of classical music to be introduced to me in the form of a montage of like footballers doing stuff. I think you're bang on. It's a you know an evocative piece almost by definition. It's something somebody might not have heard before. It's relatively timeless. Even the youngsters would, would, you know, start to enjoy it. Do we need kind of gimmicky theme music? There was a lot of love, Jack, for uh, ITV's um, 2014. Well, the Brazil. Yeah, that was good. Uh, which I realise is a historical song, but um, but it, it was just a bit too jaunty. I want I want oomph. I want gravitas in my World Cup theme. Yeah, I think that sounds fair. Didn't some, who was it who had Arcade Fire? Have I got that completely wrong? But, um, Didn't somebody have Rebellion, or was that? I am. Um, no, I might be complete. So I'm sure. Yeah, I, ITV, maybe I'm ITV, wrong. If you guys ITV had Kasabian in 2006. I'm not. Oh, yeah, I'm they did. certainly not compar- comparing Kasabian to Arcade Fire. It was terrible. It was, it was a cover of Heroes, wasn't it? I think really bad. Could debate this all day. I like this from. Layman's gloves, though, Jack. He simply says, BBC Studio must have a tremendous view. Like, like disgustingly good view, to the point where it looks like they outbid the rest of the entire world to get it. Lu- yeah, like a ludicrously cliched. Yeah, France 98 being the classic, yeah. but uh, I love that. And then, But uh, what it actually turns out, James, is they're all in one big media block, and they all have the same <laughs> fucking view. Well, it's funny you say that, because I, in 2014, in Rio, I saw the media block, and it looked shit. Uh, it's just like a like sort of storage container stacked on top of each other at the end of Copacabana. Right. So, like, yeah, like you say, you think they've got this amazing view down the beach, but actually they're just, like, above ITV and below Canal Plus or whoever. Okay. Right, a couple of other little broadcasting bits for you. James, I can, well, not exclusively reveal, but I can tell you the uh, pairings for the World Feed commentators the absolutely legends that uh, traverse World Cups for the benefit of listeners and viewers all around the world. Here are the commentator pairings. Peter Drury and Alan Smith, solid A-list. John Roder and Casey Stoney. David Stowell and Lucy Ward. Daniel Mann and Andy Townsend. That, that's got, that's got the sort of second best game of the day on ITV written all over it, isn't it? Yeah, I can, I can, I can feel the rapport already. <laughs> Simon Brotherton and Matt Holland, again, steady. And then, for the real global viewers kevin keatings and efanikoku great stuff love that the love world that. feed is the world feed is essentially the dark horses of the broadcasting <laughs> world <Cup. laughs> like, genuine legends who know the game like in the truest sense and then you get a sprinkling of people who are sort of aspiring co-commentators who are looking to get into the big time but looking to cut their teeth on the world feed deserves more of our attention and plaudits as far as i'm concerned jack love this one from tom mcguigan 
He says, um, I want one commentator to say that a player plays his football in country X for name of club Y club. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, helpfully, he's picked out an example. Um, he says, it's usually said about a player in a club they've never heard of until they saw it on, their, on that day's team sheet. Superfluous the and club gently signals the commentator's lack of knowledge. The candidate for this time, Oscar Duarte, who is a Costa Rican who plays for the Alwechda club in uh, Saudi Arabia. That's a very solid example. But it's it's a nice little touch, isn't it? I know we talked about this before, but it is it's a it's a lovely little traditional World Cup touch. Adds a little bit of distance, doesn't it? It's associated with something that you really want in a World Cup, which is players you've never heard of. Mm, you need time. a solid number of players you've never heard, a solid proportion of players you've never heard of. You don't want them all to be oh yeah, it's guys from, from uh, the Champions League clubs. So yeah, more of this, please. James, simple question for you: the venue for our dream final. Do you want it to be a big, expansive Olympic-style stadium with a completely unnecessary running track, or a genuinely massive? like historic club stadium that has a bit more of an intimate feel but perhaps isn't quite suited to a World Cup stage yeah is it, I can't Real think of an example but I, I, I like the idea of like a historic stadium that isn't normally a football stadium oh. there's something quite good about that I, I can't the, well 94 presumably was like that uh, well, yeah. well. well the whole World I Cup I suppose was well, I suppose, yeah, yeah true but but there's something quite good about like it, 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 like football coming, like imposing itself on another sport in the biggest way possible. I mean, take take the Bernabeu for example, Jack. An incredible stadium. Is it a World Cup final stadium? It's a Champions League final stadium, of course. But is it a World Cup final stadium? No reason why not. Is it too intimate? Uh, I think it might be World Cup. It's got the kind of like openness of a big World Cup final stadium. I think. I think it would. I mean, look if. The Olympia Stadium in Berlin could have one. I think the New Camp could have one. Fans are t- fans are too close to the pitch for me. I think they, yeah, I think maybe. For some reason, the World Cup, Cup final though, mightn't they? As in, for a World Cup final, they might just like some of those bottom rows. They could always fill with hoardings and FIFA family. Okay, we've got our dream final venue. We've been through the process, the thirty-two team process, nice and nice and straightforward. We've got to where we are. All the aesthetics are taken care of. But Jack. What does the winning goal in the final look like for you in your dream World Cup? Uh, I think we've got a really good example, which is the Iniesta goal. I thought you were going to say that. Why? Which is so... It's so satisfying the way that... One, because of, you know, the immense pressure of it being extra time and everything, but the way that... Uh, what is it uh, goes to Fabregas and they kind of patiently work it over and you can tell that they're all exhausted and then it's just a case of, we've just got to get it to the guy over there mm. and it is yeah it just makes it really really satisfying goal to watch back and even the way that it bounces so I'd say something which looks meticulously worked at under extreme pressure and exhaustion the one thing I do like about Jack's suggestion James is like it's um uh, at the end of that move, Iniesta is a finish, not under great pressure, but he has to nail it. He has to get it right yeah. in that moment, which I think is a is a good thing for a World Cup. Other examples is like sort of real kind of extended one-on-ones. I'm thinking uh, Burruchaga for Argentina against West Germany in 1986, where sort of Maradona releases him and he has to run for ages. And that means all the cameras can have a real good look at him before he slides under the true. keeper. A good one-on-one's nice. What I want I want to see this goal scored by a player who isn't already a certified superstar. Like, like I I want it to be the thing they're going to be remembered for. So, like, obviously, you know, 98 again. That puts Zidane on the map. 2002, you know, is amazing redemption story for Ronaldo. A great story, amazing. But both of those players would be remembered regardless of those goals. I mean, in recent history, like Mario Goethe, maybe. Yeah. That kind of profile up. A good player, but not like an absolute copper-bottomed legend of the game you know and, and it's kind of a, also the goal is kind of good but not great as well like you could like kids can like recreate that in the playground it's a bit more scrappy it kind of feel I don't know it's something a bit more believable about that okay. you don't want it to be too Roy the Rovers that's too obvious 
very interesting that you say that because uh, it's just dawned on me. And um, you know how we were talking about how certain club stadiums just don't lend themselves to being World Cup final venues, or it doesn't seem like. But certain goals don't lend themselves to World Cup finals. Jack, what was the last genuine screamer in a World Cup final, decisive or otherwise? I can't think. I'm looking back through finals now. There are some that have kind of passed through my memory and out the other side, but. I think you have to go all the way back, and I'm being generous here, to 1970 in Carlos Alberto, and that was that was that was more of a kind of narrative screamer. It's obviously a very good move, but it, I don't know. Obviously, no, no, it's, it's a fucking great goal, isn't it? But I don't think there's been a better goal than that in 50 years of World Cup finals. Well, I think was it Pogba scored one from quite far out in 2018. That keeper couldn't move, but that was it. Was kind of a weird. It was a weird goal in a weird game. Like for a start, there were far too many goals in that game to be a proper World Cup final. Right, interesting, and. It didn't. It, too so mental final. Goals, it was a too mental yeah. a final, wasn't it? With the exception of Perisic, none of the goals actually felt sufficiently big enough. Like they didn't feel momentous enough. Yeah. Um, that's so what for me, that Pogba goal doesn't have the kind of, you know, like historical memory behind it that it might do. Yeah, it's like a shit munchy winner of the goal of the month, isn't it, James? It's like, you know. There was nothing. There was no. There was no real narrative behind it. Yeah, I, I never really considered that before, but that does really prove the point, doesn't it? You don't. I, I don't think you want the World Cup. Like the World Cup should have loads of great goals, but the mm. World Cup winning goal shouldn't okay. be like that. Right. Final question for you both. Jack, of all the teams that have ever competed in the FIFA World Cup, who's winning this one for you? A South American team. I think the Euro dominance has ruined the World Cup in the last few years. So uh, all I want from this time for my perfect World Cup is continental competition. A European team and a South American team in the final. Would you take Brazil? Because can't we just have a Brazil team winning it? Like the good old days where nothing was as bad as it is now. Nothing mattered when they won it. Yeah, i take that happily. James? I, I want the final to be... Like like an amazing functioning team versus a group of superstars. Okay. So you can kind of see, like, I mean, in this tournament, maybe it would be like the real tournament. I mean, not our tournament. Could be like Brazil, Argentina, say. Like a, like Argentina team that are incredibly functional, have Messi in and it all works really well all of a sudden. And, and Brazil have a load of amazing players. Mm-hmm. I just think the combination of those who, like, like all those classicos from 10, 12 years ago, which isn't to say there weren't great players in that Barcelona team, but they were incredibly functional. They had their way of playing. It was incredibly recognisable. Madrid were just chucking amazing players on a team sheet and seeing what happened. That's the best kind of big match, I think, isn't it? Okay. The Nicely combination put. of those two things. Nicely put. That, that seems to me, James, like the early rumblings of World Cup fever to me. So don't rule it out. It seems like you do care. After all, you care about a true, genuine World Cup. I really do. Good. Glad to hear it. Thanks to you, James, for for steering us through this dream tournament. Thanks for having me. Thanks to you, Jack Pitbrook. Thank you. Thanks for everyone for listening. Enjoy the World Cup if you can. Bring it on. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favourite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.